0: And your Podcast. Once firm allies, now fragile partners, a visit by the United States a top diplomat Saudi Arabia is a lot more challenging than in the past. So what's putting strains on American influence in the Middle East? And can Anthony Blinken mend its fraying ties? I'm Imran Khan, and you're listening to the Inside Story Podcast where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. For more on this, I'm joined by our guests. Enriyad is Abdulaziz Al Ghashian, Saudi Affairs Analyst and Fellow at the Sectarianism Proxies and De-Sectarianism Project at Lancaster University. In Washington, D.C., is Hilary Mann-Leverett, CEO of Strategia, a political risk consulting firm. She's also a former White House national security official and former U.S. diplomat. And in Tehran is Fawad Izadi, head of American Studies Department at the Faculty of World Studies at the University of Tehran. A warm welcome to you all. I'd like to begin in Washington, D.C., with Hilary Mann-Leverett. Now, if the polls are to be believed then Robert F. Kennedy is a potential threat to uh, Joe Biden's president, run again, he tweeted around the time of the Saudi-Iran deal that China has now replaced the U.S. over the past decade, America has bombed and China has built. Hillary, uh, do you think that uh, China is a threat to U.S. diplomatic supremacy?
1: Certainly a threat to U.S. dominance in the region. Um, that's been clear now for many, many years and certainly has accelerated UNDER uh, THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION, AND THE ADMINISTRATION IS CONCERNED ABOUT THAT. THEY'RE ACTING ON THAT. REMEMBER, THEY CAME INTO OFFICE WITH PRESIDENT BIDEN HIMSELF, DECLARING THAT HE WAS GOING TO TREAT SAUDI ARABIA AS THE Priya THAT THEY ARE. HE WAS GOING TO REFUSE TO DEAL WITH CROWN PRINCE Mohammed BIN SALMAN AND ONLY DEIGN HIMSELF TO, to DEAL WITH SAUDI ARABIA'S KING. IT HAS BEEN A, FRANKLY, HUMILIATING REVERSAL IN U.S. POLICY really recognising that they need the Saudis not necessarily only to achieve goals but to prevent the Saudis from undermining the Biden administration's foreign policy agenda as well as its domestic politics going into the 2024 election here. Uh,
0: Abdulaziz Al Ghashian in, in Riyadh, uh, there is still a relationship between the US and Saudi Arabia. It hasn't fallen apart completely yet, but it is very, very tense, perhaps more tense than it's been for a while
2: yeah well firstly uh, good day to you to your viewers and to all, all, all your guests um, I agree there's a lot of tension there still needs to be a lot of water under the bridge but I, I think we need to contextualize this tension uh, firstly I, I very much echo um, what Miss Hillary said in Washington DC I, I think the the fiery rhetoric that um, Biden himself and the Biden administration uh, used in their in their elections Uh, has really uh, amplified these tensions. However, notwithstanding these tensions and notwithstanding this rhetorical kind of jostling taking place, I still believe that there is still a strong relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia. I think think the symbolism has decreased, but I still think the strategy has been there. Uh, And I don't see it going anywhere soon. Uh, I I think in regards to China, uh, and this, re- this, this aspect of, um, uh, you know, is, is it replacing Saudi Arabia or, I'm sorry, is it replacing the United States? I think for, for the Saudi lens, uh, Saudi right now is viewing the world in a much more uh, multipolar fashion. I won't say it's a symmetric multipolar uh, perception. I think it's an asymmetric multipolar perception. I think it's viewing Saudi Arabia, I'm sorry, Saudi Arabia is viewing the United States not as a necessity as it used to be before, but I think as a strong desire and a strong preference. So I think this is this is now this transition of the change within the relationship uh, is causing inevitable tensions. Uh, and just one last point, because uh, I don't want to take the entire time, but uh, one last point is that a lot of people have amplified and exaggerated perhaps the uh, tensions between Saudi Arabia now is that this has been the highest LEVEL OF TENSION SINCE 1973, ARAB-ISRAELI WAR. Uh, I I WOULD DISAGREE WITH THAT. I THINK THE the TENSIONS ARE SIGNIFICANT. BUT UNFORTUNATELY WITHIN THE UNITED STATES RELATIONSHIP WITH SAUDI ARABIA AND SAUDI'S RELATIONSHIP WITH THE UNITED STATES, uh, IT'S EMBEDDED WITH DISAGREEMENT AND TURBULENCE. IT HAS ALWAYS HAD DISAGREEMENTS, BUT SOMEHOW THERE ARE STRATEGIC MECHANISMS THAT ENABLE THEM TO OVERCOME THESE CHALLENGES. Uh,
1: May I I ask one thing? May may I just point out one thing? I'm sorry, I don't want to uh, take the time from my colleague in in Iran. But just in terms of the state of US-Saudi relations and where they were, I really need to point out, I worked at the White House. I was on the National Security Council in the Bush administration after 9-11, and U.S.-Saudi relations after 9-11 were not as bad as they are today. I worked then with President Bush to organize a trip by the then-Saudi king to President Bush's ranch in Crawford, Texas. The relations were not nearly as bad on a personal level and a country-to-country level. We are in a very serious state today, even compared to the the prior time of a serious crisis in U.S.-Saudi relations after 9-11.
0: Well, let me bring in uh, Tehran here and Fahd Izadi. I mean, Fahd, the view from Tehran seems to be that the US is simply an untrustworthy partner, that perhaps China is much more simpler to deal with. This is echoed in the the breaking of the JCPOA, which actually, uh, the Iran nuclear deal, which Iran actually stuck to their guns with and did everything that they needed to do. So this comes as no surprise to Tehran, surely?
3: Uh, No, it doesn't. Uh, I think uh, everybody in Iran welcome the normalization of relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Um, I think the Saudis realize that fighting Iran is not good uh, uh, for their country. Uh, What the United States wants from Saudi Arabia is to demonize Iran, uh, to confront Iran, to spend uh, petrodollars against Iran. That's not good for Saudi Arabia. They want want the Saudis to normalize relations with uh, Israel which is not good for the Saudis in the Arab world and the Muslim world. Uh, They want uh, the Saudis to reduce the price of oil. Why should you do that? It's not uh, reasonable. Uh, You know, when you sell oil at a higher price, you you get richer, and you don't need to—you need to um, look at the market, not the demands from some politician in Washington that's uh, running for presidency or whatever. Uh, and uh, uh, they want to make sure that the Saudis are confronting China and Russia. And that is also not good for the Saudis. Uh, so when you look at uh, the demands that Mr. Blinken has uh, from Saudi Arabia, you realize that uh, uh, the patience in Saudi Arabia is running out. And it's good for Iran and it's good for the region.
0: Uh, Abdulaziz al I want to bring you in here. It's always been said that this was a China broker deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran. But clearly, that's not quite the truth. I mean, both sides had something to gain from this. What does Saudi Arabia gain from uh, normalising relations with Iran? What was the driving force there?
2: Well, firstly, I think, uh, just like what my colleague in in Iran said, I think both Saudi Arabia and Iran realised that confrontation has not been fruitful. And there was just no clear end game to this confrontation and this relationship of antagonism. And I think they needed to move forward. Uh, And, thankfully, I think they made uh, uh, this—there was enough will to overcome these challenges. But still, they need to—they need to iron out some of the the tricky issues that they have. But I think what's driving Saudi Arabia mostly, and really what's driving Saudi foreign policy in general, is the fact that Saudi Arabia has enormous and very lofty economic projects that it wants to achieve. And I think it understands very well that it cannot achieve these economic goals as vision 2030 as we always hear about uh, without a stable region. So I think what is taking place and what's worth noting is that there's a an aspect of regionalization that has been taking place. There's a there's a regional agency that has taken place that this is what the Saudi Iranian <clears throat> normalization has illustrated is that that this is a region now that's attempting to take responsibility for solving its own issues. Now, it won't be easy, but at least they're going to discuss their problems and their cooperation with, within a framework of dialogue. And more importantly, I think what's going to make this rapprochement different than other rapprochements is the economic factor, due to this economic regional, regionalization. So that's a core bedrock, uh, a foundation or a pillar of current Saudi foreign policy now, both regional and international. Hillary Mann-Leverett, it is actually somewhat
0: extraordinary that you have the top diplomat of the US coming to Saudi Arabia almost on the back foot. He is coming to try and make relations not get any worse. Not to try an improvement, but to not make them get any worse. But there is some history to this. I mean, the Saudis have often had a better relationship with the Republicans than they have with the Democrats. Does that play into this?
1: I think it does. First, I want to echo my, my colleagues' comments in Saudi Arabia. I completely agree in terms of what the Saudis are looking for in terms of stability in the region and how important that is to their economic future, and, unfortunately, how how much that collides with, with how American administrations perceive their role in the Middle East and what they want from the Middle East. And here, the difference between Republicans and Democrats is very important. Historically, um, the Saudi royal family has had excellent relations with the Republican Party. I worked in the first Bush uh, 41 White House back in 1990, 1991, and the Saudi ambassador was in the Oval Office every single day. That relationship was incredibly close. And again, even after 9-11, the relationship between the Saudi royal family and the Bush administration—this is the second Bush administration was also very close. Fast forward to just a couple of years ago, the Saudi relationship with the Trump administration was also very close, notwithstanding the fact that President Trump refused to come to Saudi Arabia's defense when their um, their oil facilities were attacked uh, in in 2019. So the relationship there is is very close, and we see the Saudi involvement in the U.S. golf sport uh, just this week here in the United States, and that is what I would think—I think is the driving force for Secretary of State Lincoln coming to Saudi Arabia, is to try to get the Saudis to do no harm to the Biden administration's foreign policy agenda, but much more importantly, to try to get them to not be uh, as—as involved. In U.S. politics, because the Biden administration is concerned that, particularly in swing states like Florida, Saudi money, Saudi involvement could actually push things—not tremendously, but just enough to give either candidate Trump or candidate DeSantis, the Florida governor, an edge uh, in the 2024 election.
0: Uh, Fouad, is there an opportunity for Tehran here? There is, uh, uh, you know, like Hillary said, no, uh, um, Abdulaziz said, you know, there is a retooling, a wariness of now the relationship between uh, Saudi Arabia and the, the, the US. Does that give Tehran an opportunity to perhaps try and get back to the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal, or any other way uh, for a deal between Iran and uh, the US?
3: You know, Iran uh, has been trying to um, have the United States come back. Iran never left the agreement. Iran is in the agreement. It's the U.S. that uh, needs to come back to the agreement. The Biden administration uh, could return to the agreement on the first day of the Biden presidency. You know, Trump uh, left the agreement issuing an executive order. Uh, And uh, the next president in the American system can nullify the previous president's uh, executive orders. And uh, Biden did that uh, when it came to the Paris climate accords and other uh, agreements that uh, Trump left. But uh, the Biden administration decided not to do the same uh, for the nuclear agreement. They could just return to the agreement and give Iran two or three months to uh, come back to the full compliance that Iran was uh, engaging in uh, before Trump left. They decided not to do that. It's been more than two years uh, since. uh, the. The uh, uh, Biden administration came into office. Uh, and they come up with uh, different excuses every day. You know, they, the, the last thing they're saying is that because of uh, demonstrations in Iran, they, they don't want to go back to the agreement. They say it's not on their agenda. This is what uh, John Kirby, the, the spokesman at the National Security Council, said last week. But it's been uh, more than six months since we haven't had any demonstrations. Uh, So, uh, whether we are going to have the agreement or not, it's a decision that needs to be made in Washington. I think the Reisi administration in Tehran has been trying to uh, uh, return, make sure that the, the, the facilities and the conditions are right for the U.S. to return. It's a decision that they have to make.
2: Uh,
0: Hillary, was this a strategic blunder on behalf of the Biden administration that it didn't go back to the JCPOA? The opportunity was right there. It could have been a very simple decision. They didn't do it. And that's something that now perhaps the Arab world has looked at. The Gulf states have particularly looked at and gone, maybe America isn't as powerful as we thought it was. Maybe we do need other allies. Was this a strategic blunder?
1: Absolutely. I think it was the most important strategic blunder that the Biden administration has committed. And it's sunk their foreign policy agenda from the beginning, because not, not, not only is the United States now looked at in the region as not uh, not willing to militarily come to defend any of our allies, but we can't even keep an agreement, an agreement that was working, that was in everybody's interests, it was a very serious blow for the biden administration not to return uh like they did to the paris uh to the paris environmental accords to uh to, to that agreement very much a strategic blunder and i don't think they can um uh, i'm not sure they can recover and i think the saudis are betting on that that it will take everything that the biden administration has to restore credibility in the middle east while uh, fighting with Russia over Ukraine while fighting with China over Taiwan it's just not something this administration can do as it heads into uh, a presidential campaign with Republicans here uh putting all of the putting themselves into the uh race for president it's just too much for this administration and I think the Saudis have
2: uh, Aziz, do you think it was a strategic blunder? I'm not going to go into American politics here. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to stick to my, my Riyadh politics uh, with, 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 the, with the theme of meddling, etc. So I'm not going to meddle in my, my, my Iranian colleagues and, and American colleagues' uh, terrains. But what I would say is that I think the when it comes to the Saudi perception of the JCPOA, there was a lot of things that they had issues with. And I think with the Saudi... With the, I'm sorry, with the JCPOA, it was mostly viewed... As uh, an Obama legacy. It was a fact of trying to re-approach Iran with something that I think came at the cost of the relations with the Americans' main partners in Saudi Arabia and others. But I think it's precisely this issue of going back into the JCPOA, leaving the JCPOA, is precisely the reason, or one of the core reasons why there was a Saudi Iranian rapprochement and there was a preference to have the umbrella of, uh, of China. Because I think the region has had enough of waiting of what's going to happen and being susceptible to the politics in in other Western capitals. So I think this is the reason why. This is why there was a regional agency, the fact that, listen, we're not going to allow ourselves to be a platform or an experiment for others and to express their own or project their own politics upon us. THIS IS A THEME THAT WAS VERY MUCH AGREED UPON ENTIRELY OR UNANIMOUSLY IN THE LAST ARAB SUMMIT IN, in, in SAUDI ARABIA. THEY ALL AGREED UPON THAT THEY ARE NOT GOING TO BE um, A REGION where, they, WHERE OTHER SUPERPOWERS CAN COMPETE. THEY HAVE THEIR OWN AGENCY AND THEIR OWN WILL. NOW, I THINK WHEN IT COMES TO, um, YOU KNOW, OTHER ISSUES uh, OF DEALING WITH THIS, I THINK, YOU KNOW, I'M SORRY, WITH, with, the, with THE RELUCTANCY, Uh, And the aspect of credibility, as my colleague in in the United States said, I don't think it just—it began with uh, the the Trump administration or the Biden administration. I think the aspect of American credibility, unfortunately, has been in the making for a few decades now. And I think the war in Iraq really didn't help in 2003. The other aspects that um, have led to uh, misperceptions. Now, I THINK ONE OF THE REASONS WHY THERE IS A a CONSTANT MISPERCEPTION OR A CONSTANT um, DISAPPOINTMENT AND EXPECTATIONS IS BECAUSE THE LANGUAGE THAT WE USE IS VERY MUCH um, MISLEADING. ONE OF THE ASPECTS, ONE OF THE the TERMS THAT WE USE IS is ALLIANCES. NOW, SAUDI ARABIA AND THE U.S. ARE NOT MILITARY ALLIES. Um, THEY ARE PARTNERS. ISRAEL AND THE UNITED STATES ARE NOT MILITARY ALLIES. And therefore, this notion of alliances being taken back and forth and used too lightly, in my opinion. And I think that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of misexpectations.
0: It's an interesting point you make about Israel, because $3.5 billion in military aid alone from the U.S. suggests that they are much more than just... Uh, PARTNERS, AS YOU SAY, THERE IS AN an ALLIANCE THERE. HILLARY MANN, I ACTUALLY WANT TO ASK YOU ABOUT ISRAEL. Um, Uh, HAS AMERICA, uh, Uh, IN LEGAL TERMS, I'LL GIVE YOU THAT. OKAY, THERE YOU GO. I'LL GIVE YOU THAT, IN LEGAL TERMS. Uh, HILLARY, I WANT TO ASK YOU, WHEN IT COMES TO ISRAEL, THE AMERICANS HAVE BITTEN OFF A LOT MORE THAN THEY CAN CHEW. The Abraham Accords, uh, which Israel sees as one of its biggest successes, they haven't managed to get Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia uh, is being pressured by the Americans uh, to join those accords. They're simply not uh, doing it. When it comes to Syria, the Americans had problems. When it comes to the region, the Americans are simply too involved in too many different things. There wasn't a clear strategy. That hasn't helped, has it?
1: Oh, it hasn't, but I think the the role of Israel is very, very important. You have not only a Saudi uh, Saudi government that's closer historically, and I think to today with the Republicans, but you also have in Israel with Prime Minister Netanyahu. He is incredibly close with the Republicans. His chief advisor, Ron Dermer, was an was a registered Republican activist, a party activist here in the United States before he moved to Israel. The Netanyahu government and uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman have deep ties personally to, to active candidates in the U.S. campaign. The, percept- the idea that the Saudis are going to make peace with Israel under the Biden administration is, I-, I think, is almost farcical. And I think the Biden administration sees, again, not that they're going to get this amazing victory with the Saudis to make peace with Israel, but they're trying to prevent the Saudis from working with Israel to undermine the Biden administration in particular, not even the United States, but the Biden administration. I think at this point for the White House here, it's really all about politics and personal politics uh, for President Biden. Uh,
0: Fahd Izadi, do you think that the Americans simply have a scattergun approach when it comes to the Middle East diplomacy, and this is now coming back to haunt them that there are simply too many competing agendas.
3: The United States is a country in decline, and the fact that the Saudis and Iranians are signing agreements in Beijing is a sign of that, is an indication for that. And this decline will continue. I think what the United States is doing with regard to Russia is going to hurt the U.S. in the long run. Uh, I think their confrontation with China is going to hurt them in the long run. Uh, I think the United States used to be a superpower. They need to understand how can they engage in soft landing to uh, become a more uh, normal country. Uh, and unfortunately, this is not what we see in Washington. What we see in Washington. Is the continuation Sorry, uh, of uh, Fahad, that made, I, am,
0: made... Fahad, I am going to have to stop you there. You've made a very interesting point. I've got about a minute 30 left on the show, and I want to put that point to our other guests. Uh, just very quickly, Inriyad Abdul Aziz, very quickly, um, is the UNS, U.S. in decline?
2: I, I think it's perceived uh, as so. I, I mean, I, I don't think the U.S. is perceived to be in decline, I think there are just other options. And I think that's what Saudi Arabia is viewing the world as. Uh, in my opinion, Saudi Arabia views the world in an asymmetric, multipolar world. In other words, that the United States is still Sorry, its main preference... Sorry,
0: I did say quickly, and I do want to come to Hillary Maniliver as well. And we are running out of time. I do apologise. I do apologise. Hillary. US in decline? <laughs>
1: I think without a doubt, and like my colleague said, in Saudi Arabia, it's been decades in the making. The Iraq War was the big, uh, the big push for the United States off the cliff in the Middle East, and we are seeing, unfortunately, uh, the ramifications of that to this day.
0: I want to thank all our guests, Abdul Aziz Al Ghashian. I want to thank Hillary Mann Leverett, and I want to thank Fahd Izadi as well. This episode was produced by David Fleming, Sarah Chayret, Von Yenguin and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Ellie Elhani and the programme was edited by Alexander Coley, Len Enguin and Joe Defrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and tune in on Thursday for our next episode.